0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Fly ball and back in the deep right center field. Lorenzo King. The Two in the game! And we've got you covered with the best in the business. Deep down the left field line, it's gone! Manny Machado breaks it open with a three-run shot. With veteran play-by-play voice Josh Lewin. A slam! An MLB insider, John Heyman. His numbers would look so much better if there weren't guys compiling 600 home runs. Each week, will feature a comprehensive look at Major League Baseball, the biggest stories, and a breakdown of the divisions leading up to the 2019 championship race. And Harper to center, way back. See you later! It's all right here on Radio.com Sports Big Time
2: Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Big Time Baseball brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class alongside John Heyman back from Florence, Italy. Yeah, uh, I'm Josh (laughs) Lewin. I didn't go anywhere. John has been covering Major League Baseball for the last, man, four decades. And uh, I've got some broadcast experience. He's got the writing experience. So we're your tag team. And each week we'll bring you insight into the top storylines across Big League Baseball, including a rundown of the happenings in every division. All of our episodes include a chat with some of the best baseball voices all across the country. We've got Chip Carey with us as the Braves are on their hot streak right now. He'll talk to us about the Atlantans. Brad Ausmus, manager of the Angels, will join us. And It's always a fascinating team when you've got Trout, when you've got Otani, and they've got Upton back now. So that's where we're headed. And, of course, John will have his insider segment for you as well. Big Time Baseball, part of Radio.com. It allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations free of charge anytime, anywhere. You can listen to over 300 stations, over 1,100 podcasts. You can follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. So as we begin and try to figure out what's what this week, uh, I got to say, John, we should probably start with the orgy of home runs and runs in general. And, And I'll put it this way, since you just got back from Italy. Uh, I love Italian food myself, but, but if all day, all weekend long, <laughs> you brought me out gnocchi and some vodka sauce, spaghetti bolognese, rigatoni, vermicelli, just one carbo-loaded pasta dish after another, <laughs> eventually I would tap out. I mean, I love this stuff, but isn't this at some point overload? Sunday afternoon, uh, I was watching the Padres-Rockies game. It was 9-8 in the top of the third. Final scores from that day featured 3-8, a 10 an 11, a 12, a 13, a 14, a pair of 15s. There were 55 home runs hit. We are so bloated with baseball pasta, I just think we're going to explode like the guy in the uh, the Monty Python movie 40 years ago.
1: It might take me 10 years to uh, be tired of pasta, but uh, home runs, <laughs> I can understand that. Uh, you know, Commissioner Rob Manfred had said that he likes the home runs, but he'd like to see some more triples, more balls in play, more stolen bases. I think that's what we're missing. I, I don't mind the home runs. I think what happened, and I know a lot of people are going to point to or suggest that the ball is different, to juiced, whatever. Uh, you know, I, I think the analytics, and I'm not blaming anybody. You know, analytics are a very big and important part of the game, no question about it. But I think the analytics suggested that home runs are even more valuable than we thought, and you should get paid for the home runs, and it help they help win games, just like they said with the walks. Uh, on base percentage is more the key now than batting average, so we're seeing more of the home runs, more of the walks. Uh, it seems to be the goal of the player uh, now to swing for the fences. and take more pitches, and uh, results in longer games, longer balls. And uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I think we'd like to see uh, balls in play, triples, singles, doubles, other things uh, than home runs at some point. Uh, home runs are great, but uh, too many of them might be a bad.
2: Well, we had all of what you talked about this past weekend at, of all places, Coors Field. And I understand that zero gravity, and, and you'd expect if there's going to be the highest-scoring four-game series in baseball history, that would be the place for it. But... That Padres Rockies series was bizarre. Uh, it had been 90 years in a month since anyone had, had combined to score 88 runs in a four-game series, and this one sailed past that. It got to 92. There was a 14 to 8, a 16 to 12, a 14 to 13, and the low water mark was a 9 to 6. The two teams hit 379 for the series with 17 <laughs> home runs. So. Yeah, you know, enjoyable but exhausting, I would say, is the way we're looking at this.
1: Right, yeah. Right now I'm in an office next to the office that Dan O'Dowd has an MLB network, and we thought he had solved this with the Humidor, (laughs) I don't know how many years ago. Of course, feel the games were crazy, uh, whatever it was, more than 10, 15 years ago and they were unmanageable, and now it's come back, and I'm not exactly sure what happened. The pitching wasn't very good. I think that's fair to say. Some of it is there are some great offensive players on these teams. Uh, Charlie Blackman, did he make an out? I, I think he had 15 <laughs> hits in the series. Incredible. Uh, you know, Obviously, Arenado, incredible talent. Machado, Tatis. They probably Both teams are better offensively than they are in terms of pitching, but uh, you know, I, I'm a little concerned about cores. We have not seen a, a series like, well, we haven't seen one in 90 years, but we haven't seen anything close to that at Cores in, in years, and uh, I don't know, they might have to turn up the humidor a little bit.
2: I guess as we start our stroll around the divisions here, we usually start in the AL East, let's kind of keep it to home run guys, because the Yankees already have quite a few, and, and some of them are getting healthier. Now they bring in Encarnacion, and this is as right-handed as the Yankees have probably ever been.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a little bit of an issue. I, I understand why they got Encarnacion. Uh, it's because the the price was right. It was a deal that they could not refuse. I, I'd heard about the possibility of this a couple weeks ago, and I checked with a Yankee person, and they basically said, "Where are we going to put him? Uh, you know, we we've got all these guys coming back, and it really doesn't fit for us." But I, I think the deal was just too good for them to pass up. It's only. 3 million towards the tax this year it was money let next year which of course they can't worry they don't worry about that the Yankees have plenty of money uh, they gave back a prospect that Seattle had given to them in a trade for a, a pitcher Nick Rumble who was released the the, the prospect uh, the pitching prospect they gave up was uh, then his name THEN so uh, it was a very uh, unusual trade for the Mariners and uh, it, I think it's uh, one that can't hurt the Yankees and I know that and Carnacion was just thrilled. He did not want to be on the West Coast. Oakland had offered him 50 million for two years, and he didn't want to do that. That's why he signed with Cleveland originally, and uh, he was hurt by the trade to Seattle. But if you don't have a no-trade, nothing you could do about it. He was hoping for a trade to the Yankees, and he got his wish. Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say, even though he's the home run leader, I agree with Brian Cashman. It's an incremental move. Uh, they need starting pitching. That's their real need.
2: Agreed. And he had to shave his beard, but what are you going to do? Uh, yeah. Boston it wasn't is, like
1: it, Dallas Keuchel, though. No, Dallas no, no. If Keuchel no, no. had I'm, shaved his beard, it would, have, it would have been quite a story.
2: Well, and we'll get to Keuchel in, in a little bit later on the podcast, because Chip Carey is going to join us, talk about the addition that, uh, that the Braves have brought in. The, uh, the Red Sox haven't brought in anybody yet, uh, and they haven't won a series against a team that has a winning record since the end of April, but got off to a nice start in their series against Minnesota, Rafael Devers is only 22, and this is a guy who had zero home runs as of May 2nd. He's now got 11, I think it is, at a 458-footer to the opposite field in Baltimore. So he's breaking out. Uh, Bogarts is having a strong year. The Chris Sale panic seems to be over. Is Boston ready to make their move?
1: I think they are. I mean, I, I, I still see them. Uh, Making the playoffs. Uh, I I thought they'd win that division. Uh, I think they suffered from a bit of a hangover. They won't admit it, but uh, that's a reality. When you have a a winning season, a championship season, uh, you know, unless you have that all time special team like those Yankee teams in the late 90s, uh, there's going to be a bit of a hangover. It's it's unavoidable, and I I think that got them at the beginning, and I think they're over it now.
2: With the Red Sox playing the Twins as we speak, that gets us as a segue to the AL Central. You know, I, I heard a stat. My son actually told me this stat, and it blew my doors off, that Minnesota's team slugging percentage this year is something like 514. Harmon <laughs> Killebrew's career slugging percentage was 509. I mean, that, you know, that's a guy with 576 oh, home favorite. runs, the most powerful yep. twin ever.
1: Right. Incredible. Uh, you know, I saw it in spring training. That's why I picked them to win that division. I like to remind everybody on each of our podcasts that I did pick the twins. and There it is. Uh, check <laughs> I got it done. Yep. So you can start your drinking game. But uh, you know they have a great lineup. Uh, I didn't expect Polanco to do this, but I think Rosario potential was there. Uh, I I still see more coming from Buxton and Sano than they've actually given. Uh, they added Cruz. They added Marwin Gonzalez, who really hasn't even gotten going yet. Uh, I didn't expect the catching. Uh, to bring this kind of offense. I, I don't think anybody did, uh, but they have a terrific lineup, uh, but this is a shocker that they lead with the Yankees with all of their stars, are fourth in home runs, twins are first, and on a pace to break the Yankee record, uh, It's I'm, I'm even shocked by it.
2: I, I think a moderate shock in that division is that the White Sox are really not bad, and that Lucas Giolito has been such a A changed man since he's come back from the injured list. His command is so better. What a difference the year makes, huh?
1: Incredible. I've never seen a turnaround that stark to go from perhaps the worst starting pitcher in the league last year to perhaps the best. I think it's either him or Verlander to start the All-Star game if it was today. Uh, Incredible. And give Giglio credit for remaking himself. Obviously, an incredible talent coming up. It was a top draft choice of The Nats' GM, Mike Rizzo, who knows his pitching, as we know, and uh, saw something special in him. And then the Nats seemed to uh, sort of give up on him uh, in that trade uh, when they sent Lopez and him and uh, Dunning uh, for Adam Eaton. And uh, that seemed to be an overpay at the time, and it feels like an overpay now. And, yes, give the White Sox credit. I'm with you. Uh, They're solid uh, right now with Giolito, with Moncada coming, uh, getting better. Uh, they're getting improvement from some of the young players, and uh, Dylan Cease, we may see him soon, so they may have two top-of-the-line young pitchers, uh, top-of-the-rotation young pitchers, and that it would be uh, quite something, so, uh, you know, much better story for the White Sox this year.
2: And I guess if you looked at an comp, Texas Rangers, a team that could lose 90 to 100 games this year, not quite ready for prime time, and they have been. Now, Gallo's been hurt, you know, Hunter pence goes down, so there are issues, I understand, but... Uh, Texas, Oakland is hanging around. Then you look up, Houston is a, just a freaking shark addict, a row of teeth. Yeah, I mean, uh, they didn't look, miss a beat with with Springer out,
1: with Correa, with Altuve. Uh, you know, they're an incredible team, a uh, favorite in the league. I think they started as the favorite. I think they're still a strong favorite uh, in the league. Uh, they're a fantastic team, and you, Alvarez is going to be a great hitter, is already a great hitter. I think they knew that going in, but... Uh, you know, uh, they're just, I think, too good. Uh, Oakland always has that great second-half push. You're right about Texas. Uh, Gallo was terrific before he went out. Uh, Hunter Pence, also unbelievably good before he went out. We'll see how long he's out. But uh, Minor, another good story for Texas. So Texas is a nice story, but uh, unfortunately, they're in the wrong division.
2: All right, so we're going to table NL East Braves discussion until Chip Carey is on. In the NL East, uh, like some of what the Mets have, I mean, (laughs) Alonzo. You say the Mets or the Mets. I I said both. They they, uh, obviously expected to be uh, the favorite
1: in that division. They came out and said that publicly. Uh, The new GM, uh, Brody Van Wagenen, who came over from the agenting ranks, said that. And uh, right now, uh, they are not for... fulfilling that uh, promise. Alonzo, as you mentioned, has been terrific. McNeil has been fantastic. And uh, two guys that uh, they held on to and, uh, in Alonzo's case, uh, promoted uh, this year. They made good decisions there. Uh, but you're right, uh, up the middle, they have not been uh, what's expected. They traded for Cano with five years to go. And he was really good last year uh, in the time that he wasn't suspended. And so they expected him to be uh, the same, uh, really good. And uh, so far that has not come to fruition. Rosario went through a weird defensive slump. I I think offensively he's given you about what you'd expect. I think that 298 on-base percentage doesn't sound good, but that's about what you expect. Um, He just does not walk, one of those players that does not walk. Uh, you know, Ramos is coming on, Frazier is coming on, but the reality of it is uh, they're below 500 at the moment. They're not playing well. Their their bullpen has been just a disaster. They addressed it. Uh, Familia has been one of the worst pitchers in baseball. And this is a guy, no pun intended, they were familiar with, and they probably yeah. should have known better uh, to, go, to go give him a three-year, $30 million. I think it's going to be the end of these $10 million a year, middle relievers uh, or setup men even. Obviously, Adovino has worked out, but, boy, Colorado signed a few of them. Joe Kelly, uh, it, it just it seems to be an overpay anyway. Even if Familia was giving you close to what you'd hope for, that's a lot of money for him. Uh, so uh, they got a lot of issues right now, and they've got to really get their act together because uh, the Braves are obviously red hot, and the Phillies have been better, and Washington's coming on, and they better look out because uh, they may slip uh, – to fourth, they won't go to fifth, but uh, they're not in great shape at this point. I'll put it that way.
2: You, you mentioned the Nationals. Arrow is pointing up. The best wins above replacement for second baseman in June is the Washington Nationals. And incredibly, the best bullpen ERA in the majors in June is the Washington Nationals. So things, I guess, are stabilizing, but there are always bigger, looming questions. I always seem to ask you about Rendon.
1: Yeah, I, you know, uh, I'm going to talk about that in-depth on the uh, insider segment, but uh, at this point, uh, you know, uh, they're one of the many teams that's kind of in the middle uh, between buyer and seller. Uh, I'm leaning toward not seller at this point. I'll explain why at the insider segment, but uh, uh, they're not going to be able to lock up Rendon before he becomes a free agent, so that's a Uh, Consideration. Uh, Obviously, there's some pressure on uh, everybody there to perform, as they have the uh, highest payroll in the National League, very close to that luxury tax threshold. And uh, you know, it's uh, you know things are looking up, as you said. They got a great getting a great year out of Kendrick. Uh, Rendon has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Soto has been better lately. Uh, they definitely have some great pieces, and uh, you know I think they're going to play it out at least a little bit while longer. before we, we talked all about the selling of all these superstars, but we'll wait and see, and I think they're going to wait and
2: see on that. Big-time baseball, radio.com sports, and before we jump out of the NL East, but uh, Philly, uh, Kingery now is playing every day, and of course they paid him before they knew what he really was, and you know he's got an amazing uh, batting average. You can see that 25 home run potential in this kid now. And essentially, a few weeks ago, this guy didn't have a gig. Yeah, he's the baseball version of the
1: uh, gym rat. Uh, You know, he is a baseball player through and through, and I think they knew what they had in him. And uh, he's a guy who's uh, proved to be versatile. Uh, I think he was a second baseman originally, but uh, they obviously have a second baseman in Hernandez. And uh, he's had to play some short. He's playing the outfield. um, So good for him. But uh, you know it's it's a tough time for Philly without McCutcheon Overall, uh, they you know uh, missing him in the outfield. People were criticizing his outfield play uh, a year or two ago, but uh, you know he's uh, pretty good in center and uh, he's an excellent leadoff hitter. And I think they miss that. Uh, So uh, you know they may need to replace that to some degree. They went out and got Jay Bruce. They've done some things, but uh, at this point, I think Philly's got some questions. They got questions in the rotation. They got certainly questions in that bullpen with injuries. And uh, you know I'm not so confident in my pick there right now.
2: Let's spend a couple minutes in the NL Central. Uh, Christian Yelich did that. Let the kids play promo. Uh, He's actually on pace for 60. Not 50. So uh, <laughs> it, it it is development. You know, last year was 36 home runs. That was it's an astounding year, but he's probably not the MVP because of Bellinger. It-
1: yeah, I I would agree with you. Right now, Bellinger with the defense and the throwing and all that thrown in there. No pun intended. Uh, I'd say he still has the lead. Uh, I was criticized early for saying he had the lead by miles. I still think he has the lead. Yelich's is- Incredible. And what a great hitter and a great guy for the team. And uh, he's really become a superstar in Milwaukee, along with the Greek freak. So it's a great time in, for sports in Milwaukee. Uh, not as great in Miami as they reflect on that trade. Uh, he had five years to go. He was not that player in Miami. And I, it might have been the ballpark. And you combine the uh, better ballpark for hitting with some extra confidence and maybe a little bit more work. i You know, it's hard to explain how he's turned into this monster at the plate. And, uh, you know, and frankly, and I, we love Mike Hill in, in Miami, terrific gentleman and real professional. But, uh, you know, ultimately, this may cost him his job. That's how good Yelich is. And that trade, uh, you know, it looks a little better. They've gotten, uh, uh, you know, some better results. But uh, to, to add up to Yelich, uh, it's going to be tough at this point. <laughs>
2: And as the Cubs try to chase him down, Ruhr's last 20 games before the All-Star break are all against the Padres, the Mariners, the Pirates, and the Reds. So probably not going to catch him immediately. But Darvish looks like he might be back, and Craig Kimbrell is about to get going.
1: Yeah, I think uh, their stock is much better now than it, than it was. They had a nice little series in L.A. They didn't win that series, but it looked like a playoff series. They looked like a playoff team. I wasn't as confident going into the season. I know uh, one... Analytics uh, site had them winning 70-something games. I didn't think that was right, uh, but I did see some weakness there, and they're addressing that now. Uh, you don't want to say it was a break, but uh, the fact that Zobrist is out and might be out for the year, I know they said he you know, isn't determined, he might come back, but I, I think they must know that uh, or feel that he's going to be out for the year because they've used that money now, and they want to stay under that luxury threshold for whatever reason. I think they have the money, but they want to stay under it and spend it on on Kimbrel. I think that money is well spent because that is exactly their area of need. They scouted him very closely. David Ross was sent out there, Other. People were sent out to look, and uh, uh, that was a big move uh, in mid-year for them to get him. And you're absolutely right about Darvish. I mean, uh, this is a guy with incredible talent. I have my doubts because he has not come up big in big games. And to go back out there in, at L.A. and to throw a game like that, I think that was huge for, uh, for Darvish to prove to himself and the rest of us that uh, he can come up clutch.
2: We're going to pinball back to the AL West in just a moment. Brad Ausmus, manager. Of the Angels, they're sitting right around 500 as usual, but they're starting to get healthy. So we're going to talk to Brad about all that big-time baseball. Brad
0: Ausmus, 18 years in the majors and a three-time Gold Glove winner. first-year Los Angeles Angels manager. That's out toward right center field. Good! Big fly for Mike Trout of the Angels. It's
2: Brad Osmus on Big Time Baseball. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class and a, a classy guy about to join us here. That's Brad Osmus, the manager of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And they're hanging right in right now. Brad, you guys are, uh, I know hanging in is not a goal. Uh, the Angels were 80 and 82 each of the last two years into this one. You guys, as we talked to you, are a 500 proposition so far again this year. So I guess the simple question is, do you feel like maybe you've got that nine out of 10 streak coming up to, to push yourself up and over the hill?
3: Well, I think the, the thing that gives us hope is we got guys returning. You know, Justin Upton returned to the lineup last night, uh, saw one pitch and hit a home run, and then... <laughs> Uh, we got Andrelton Simmons rehabbing from the ankle sprain. He's getting very close. Um, it, it'd be nice to get everyone back together. You know, the lineup when when you put both those guys in it, and you add them to Trout, Otani, Listella, Pujols. You know, it becomes very deep lineup, and there's not a lot of breathers for the opposing pitcher.
1: Brad, a guy that you missed for the first couple of months was Otani. Just uh, incredible talent and fascination uh, for those of us who don't get to see him quite so much. Uh, uh, I think deserving rookie of the year. I know I voted for him, took some criticism in the East Coast, but uh, w- what do you, are you impressed about uh, about Otani? There's the obvious that he's great at two things that most people aren't great at, but what what most impresses you about him, and when are we going to see him pitch again?
3: Well, we're going to see him pitch for next season. Um, I think the the two most impressive things are: one is is the way he goes about his work. He's he's extremely methodical in preparation. He's tireless in his preparation, both uh, whether it's video work for hitting or physical work in the weight room uh, or going through his rehab routine for his arm. Uh, he he's really really uh, he leaves nothing to chance when it comes to that. The other thing that is is most impressive is the power. You know, the power off the bat is, as much as I've seen from any player, we're talking about Miguel Cabrera-type power uh, in terms of being able to drive the ball, you know, 400-plus feet. He doesn't have the the hit ability that Miggy did when he was in his prime, but he certainly has uh, the ability to hit the ball as far.
2: You know, since you brought up Miguel Cabrera, I think one of the interesting things, Brad, about your resume that will, will never change now, it's indelible, that you got to manage Cabrera, and now you've gotten to manage Trout. I mean, these are the two right-handed sluggers of this generation, future Hall of Famers. Uh, how do you compare them? You, you, might, what, you might want to throw Pujols in there. Well, I was going to say, Albert Pujols is not a bad <laughs> bronze medal if he gets the bronze. So, yeah, you, you've got three of those guys, basically. And uh, But I know you knew Pujols a little bit, don't know how much you knew Trout, other than you know your Tigers would have to face him and try to figure out a way to get him out. Now that you've gotten to know him much better, what can you tell us about not just the player, but but the man?
3: Well, he's just. Uh, well, I'll say this: having been a special assistant last year for the Anaheims, working with Billy Epler, I was in spring training. I was in on the field. I was in the clubhouse quite a bit during the course of the season. So I did get to know guys uh, like Trouty, not as a manager, not in a managerial role, but uh, just in a casual role, because I was around last year, which was actually a huge benefit for me because once I became the manager this year. But the, the one thing about Chaudhry I think that stands out for me, he's just a regular guy. He loves being around his teammates. He loves having fun. He loves poking fun. Um, he He's just a normal, uh, regular guy that happens to be super talented.
1: Uh, one player who's really interesting to me on the Angels is Tommy Listella. I, I mean, he was obviously – a useful player with the Cubs. He was more known for his great practical jokes. First of all, has he pulled any practical jokes on you? And are you guys a little – obviously you're impressed. Are you, are you surprised by the production you've gotten from him so far? He
3: he hasn't pulled any practical jokes, but he definitely has a very dry sense of humor that entertains me to no end. Um, <laughs> he, he's got a lot of these one-liners that he throws at you out of the blue and makes you laugh and kind of sometimes in, in situations where you wouldn't normally be laughing. Uh, and, he's, and he's definitely surprised with the bat. You know, we had him. We, we, we traded for him. We thought, oh, this guy will give us a quality at bat. He gets on base, mm-hmm. not a ton of power. Uh, and we saw him in spring training, and that's kind of what we saw. Like, uh, you know, he, he battles at the plate. He's and uh, He didn't hit a lot of home runs in spring training. As a matter of fact, he didn't get a ton of hits, and he wasn't driving the ball a lot. But all of a sudden, the, the lights came on the regular season, and he starts hitting balls over the wall at a, at a rate that, He's never done in his life. I think going all the way back to little league, so I can't point to why it's happened. I don't really care why it's happened. I'm just glad it did.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, Brad, you mentioned something interesting a moment ago, talking about you. You kind of got to to ease your way in. You didn't cannonball into the pool with this managerial gig because you had the basically a warm up year to to be around the team. That that's not a, a usual thing. I mean, you, you didn't have that luxury in Detroit, although you you knew the organization well. That wasn't exactly your role. Do you think that's something that, that other organizations would look at, that, you know, it, it's good to have that year, kind of that uh, almost training wheels with the organization year? Or did it just happen to work out that way for you, and that's probably not a thing for anybody else?
3: Uh, I, I do think it helps just from the experience. Um, having been with the organization, of 2018, I got to know uh, what the priorities were from a front office perspective. I got to know the per- personnel in the front office. A lot of times there's uh, a little bit – can be a little bit of divide between uh, front office and field staff just because you are not around each other, not because there's any issues, but just because you don't know each other. Well, I got to know the, the front office staff before I got to know the field staff and the players because I was uh, up in the front office during the offseason – prior to the 2018 uh, year and uh just got to know them not only on a professional level but just on a personal level whether we went to lunch or just chatted in the hallway so that helps now you you fast forward to spring training starting 18 i'm i'm in uniform on the field with social staff and and then was very good to me and uh i'm interacting with the players and the current staff and, and get to know them i'm around them i'm on the road with them a couple times and uh there becomes a comfort level, not only for the players with me, but with me, for me with the players. I walk into spring training this year as a manager. I've already built relationships with the vast majority of guys that are sitting there, whereas in Detroit, uh, other than a handful of guys who I met with during the offseason, uh, most of the guys when I started in Detroit, spring training was the first time I ever talked to them. or, or I shouldn't say talk to them, cause I talked to them because I talked on the phone to, to a lot of them, but the uh, first time I ever really met them.
1: Yeah, having that front office experience, I think, is huge. Now, now everybody looked at you as a potential uh, manager when you were playing. I think you played 18 years as a catcher and, obviously, known as one of the smartest players, very heady guy, and of course, your Dartmouth guy. And uh, so, everybody expected you to be a manager. Now, this is your second time. Uh, you know, what? How is it different for you the second time? Is there something specific that you learned uh, the first time around? Yeah, taking out the fact that. In this experience, uh, you know I've had the I had the year
3: of training wheels, as Josh put it. Uh, taking that out of it, uh, there's no question that the second time around, uh, decisions come much quicker, much easier. You don't have to; they become more reflexive. You don't have to think about them, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's uh, something tactical on the field uh, or even the handling personnel in the clubhouse. If you've gone through the experience before, uh, you know how you handled them. And you know whether it worked or not or you've thought about it and, and changed how how you would have handled something so uh i i would say yes i know there's and I, part of the reason i got hired was the new wave of uh teams clubs hiring managers without experience but i can say now that experience is definitely an asset I, as a matter of fact i couldn't tell you a line of work where experience wouldn't be an asset
2: <laughs> that's true Brad Osmus uh, always, always a pleasure to, to catch up. I, I really thought that by now you'd be doing our job. I thought you'd be a, a broadcast star, but the manager thing is working out. And since you're in Toronto right now, before we leave you, I, I got to ask, did you jump in on the on the parade? or are, are you the North? Did, did you jump in with the Raptors? And, and can you tell Kawhi Leonard that here in Southern California, he'd be welcome to, to change jerseys?
3: Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I used to watch Kawhi play at San Diego State. During, yeah. uh, during uh during the off season but no true. we i avoided the the parade we uh we thought it might take us a couple hours to get from the hotel just to to the ballpark but our bus driver did an excellent job of weaving in and out but uh <laughs> i watched Smart i watched it on tv but i, I didn't, I didn't uh,
2: get involved brad osmus loves a parade and uh we, we always enjoy <laughs> chatting with him too brad continued success to you glad that upton's back uh, hopefully every other reinforcement shows up for you too and you guys will keep winning some games, and uh, as always, appreciate you, buddy.
3: All right. Thanks, guys.
2: All right. That is Brad Osmus joining us with the Angels in Toronto. Uh, Chip Carey is going to join us in just a moment. The Atlanta Braves are home. The Atlanta Braves are hot. We'll talk to Chip about that. This is Big Time Baseball from Radio.com Sports.
0: Swing and a hot shot toward the gap. That's going to get down. Riley's rolling. Around second, a little stumble. He's
2: Big-time baseball, Josh Lewin, John Heyman. We're going to shift. We're going to bring aboard Chip Carey. And uh, now in his, wow, ninth season as Braves TV voice, Uh, Chip and I used to work together. But, Chip, right now, it's it's doing what it's supposed to do. It is so much fun watching the Braves play right now, isn't it?
4: Yeah, they are scoring a zillion runs. Uh, You know, it's really amazing, Josh. When Milo Hamilton was the broadcaster here and he had Hank Aaron hitting home runs almost on a nightly basis, he used to say, bombs away in Atlanta, GA. And that's really what's happened to this (laughs) team in the month of June. We played 16 games. They've hit 35 homers. The club's averaging almost eight runs a game during this 13 and three stretch. And they've really, uh, uh, just as you said mash the accelerator to the floorboard and they're just rolling right now in all facets of the game and they're doing it against uh, teams that don't have good records but have had good pitching uh they're beating up on bullpens they're scoring runs late they're getting big leads early they're uh, putting together late comebacks i mean in all facets This is quite simply the best the Braves have played since I've come back to Atlanta, and that's saying a lot. They've had some really good teams down here. It's, as you said, been very, very fun to watch.
1: Chip, they're they're beating up on everybody. I'm beating up on myself for not picking them after the (laughs) year that they had. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, You know, Mark Derosa, who I work with, uh, uh, yesterday said that uh, he is just so impressed uh, as he walked through that clubhouse. And I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of an idea of what what goes on there because it's a very young team. He said Soroka, very mature guy. Obviously, we know that Donaldson is a big personality. Freddie Freeman uh, is a a uh, steadying, probably influence in there. But what what's the what's the key exactly? Because I mean, they ran away last year. They're in mm-hmm. a division where. You know, we expected three or four teams to be similar, and it looks like they they have potential to run away again. I know they have young talent, and that's right. the key. But what what's exactly the the mix like, the chemistry there?
4: It's really interesting, John. That's a great point. You know, it, it, it's a selfless place. Uh, you know, there are some guys in there that have had very long and distinguished major league careers. Nick marcakis comes to mind. 2,000 hits, 1,000 RBIs. He's been around forever, it seems. Uh, Brian McCann, big personality, comes back to Atlanta. Then you have the kids, uh, Albies and uh, Acuna and Camargo. Then you've got a guy like Julio Tehran, who this year has resuscitated his career and is, uh, since May 1st has a sub-1 ERA. Uh, you mentioned Mike Soroka, poised and polished. Sean Newcomb, very quiet, very steady kid who's learning his craft at the major leagues. Max Freed, uh, who has electric stuff and uh, really knows how to pitch at a tender age. Um, it's an amazing place in that You have so many diverse cultures, so many diverse personalities, but for the common good, they all come together. Uh, The one thing that I've heard as a theme in that room is that there's not the old way of of baseball in our locker room. Uh, And by that, I mean, you know, when rookies come up, it's, you know, use your ears and your mouth in the same proportion as your anatomy. That's not the case. Uh, Guys like Nick Marcakis lead by example, lead quietly. They let these people and let these players be themselves And as a result, there's an immediate comfort level when they step into that room because they're good enough to be there. And from Nick's perspective, and I don't want to speak for him, but I assume that this is the case, it makes no sense to punish a guy and make him feel unworthy when they've achieved the greatest thing they can accomplish professionally, and that's get to the big leagues in the first place. So it's really, really a fun locker room, good group of guys, professional people not just the players, but this coaching staff and Brian Snitker, who's done an amazing job as a steadying force here. He lets them play. He lets them be themselves, but they still do it the Braves way, which is the, the foundational piece of it all, I think.
2: Chip Carey visiting with us and the young slugger, Austin Riley, who looked mm-hmm. like he'd hit the rookie wall maybe a week ago. And since then, it's like he's the Kool-Aid man. He doesn't walk a lot. I know he strikes out a lot, but what has he brought to the team?
4: Instant, instant light tower power. Uh, Game-changing at bats. Uh, he hits uh, sliders late in the game. His ability to adjust on the fly has been really, really remarkable. Uh, he's a third baseman by trade, but playing the outfield, kind of like what the Braves did with Ryan Klesko. Uh, he's a better outfielder than Ryan. I think Klesko would tell you that himself. Uh, but he's a baseball player. He knows what he's doing out there. Uh, he's very steady. He's very polished. He knows how to play the game. And, Josh, you know, you've been around a long time, John, you too, You know, when the Braves would call guys up from the minor leagues, everyone was astounded when they got here because they knew how to play. They knew how to play the game the right way. That was instilled by Jim Beecham, who is still so missed, Bobby Dews in this organization. They didn't just get promoted because they put up good numbers. They got promoted because they knew how to play the game the right way. And when you see guys like Riley and Albies and Dansby Swanson do these kinds of things, you really have to remark about what a great job the Braves minor league coaching staffs are doing with these players, not just as players but as people. They get here, they know they belong, they know they're good, they know that they have challenges ahead of them. But as you said, Josh, when you go through a week-long stretch where things aren't going so well at the plate and you hit that so-called wall, they don't pout, they just go to work. And uh, the work ethic on this club is very, very high. It's very, very good, and that's the the end result. You have what you're seeing on the field right now.
1: Well, they do have great young position players and pitchers as well, and uh, it looks like a very, very bright future. One of the guys, maybe the brightest future, and already – accomplishing a lot is Ronald Acuna Jr., who uh, I thought was, I think I had him in the MVP voting last year. I had the NL MVP vote, and I I might have had him higher than anybody else, but uh, I felt with his hot streak, the way he came in and Help them uh, get over the top. Uh, that 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 was key for me. What do you, now? He's batted in the middle of the lineup, third. And he's batted leadoff, and he's been particularly good at leadoff. I think they'd like him to be in the middle of the uh, lineup, but uh, boy, has he been good at leadoff! And uh, you know, he's played center field. I think with Arte out, uh, right. he was great in the corner too. What do you see his future? Is he a center fielder, a corner outfielder, a middle of the order hitter? A leadoff hitter and and what is his potential exactly
4: well i think he can do whatever the hell he wants <laughs> the, way, yeah, I mean, the, way, exactly. the way he's going uh personally i like him in the corner better uh you know he has played center field before and and i think i say that with an asterisk because it's not fair to ronald acuna we're judging him based on what we've seen andrew jones do and what we've seen Ender inciarte do these are perennial gold glove outfielders and he's not used to doing those things in center field i think defensively. Uh, he still dives for the ball too much when he doesn't necessarily have to. He's still learning to consistently run through the ball on balls hit right at him, and even polished center fielders have said that's the most difficult play that they have to make. Uh, so those are the only warts defensively, and they're minor ones at, at best. He's got a great arm. He he uh, tracks the ball very, very well. He's just learning how to play center as opposed to one of the corner spots. But offensively, uh, you know the Braves took off last year when Brian Snicker put him in the leadoff spot right after the All-Star break in Washington. And anyone on that Incredible home run hitting tear, launching leadoff home runs all over the place, and he's back at that again. And the reasoning is uh, Ronald's very comfortable there. He's in scoring position leading off the game. And um, the thought process this spring was, look, we we know that Acuna won the rookie of the year. We know he's got tremendous power. Ideally, we'd love to have a lineup that has Enciarte first, Albies second, or Donaldson second, Freeman third, and then Acuna hitting with two or three guys on uh, two or three times a week it just didn't really work out that way uh, and so when the Braves were kind of muddling along around 500 uh, they were three and a half four games out of first Brian Snicker said let's just let's shuffle this around and so not only was Acuna moved to the number one spot Dansby Swanson started to hit second Donaldson went to clean up behind Freeman Marcakis was fifth they brought up Riley a couple of days later and put Ozzie Albies in the eight hole and what Ozzy has done at the bottom of the order is pick up his share of hits. He's hitting home runs. He's turning the lineup over to Acuna. So Ronald's getting those at bats with two, three guys on two or three times a week. But it's because the seven, eight, and nine guys are getting on in front of him, not the one, two, and three guys. So uh, May 10th was the day that Brian Snifter made that change. The Braves have gone in this incredible role. Uh, ever since and uh you know when you look back at the history of the 2019 season may 10th for me is the line in the sand date that the offense really started to hum along and we'll see if
2: it continues may the 10th be with you or, Chip, yes, exactly thank you right. thank you as always buddy yeah you guys have gone from from three games out to three games up in a hurry such a fun team to watch and uh, we'll be tracking it the rest of the summer thank you pal
4: okay guys see you soon take care
0: Rendon launches one to left see you barely later and the game is tied what are the latest rumors around the game josh lewin and john hayman go around the diamond on radio.com sports big time baseball
2: we finish up going around the diamond our insider segment with john Heyman. and uh, we talked a little bit about the nationals uh, i mean what that team is going to do
1: the nats have the probably the biggest and the best and most interesting speculation about them over the past several weeks and i've been part of that Uh, looking at how they've been doing and knowing the players on that team, the salaries that uh, are associated with those players. And also in Rendon's case, he's a free agent after the year. So uh, there has been a lot of thought and, frankly, speculation about potential trades. But uh, they've come on a bit lately, and I I just feel that there's uh, some pressure on them to try to win uh, this year. Obviously, they've had some great teams in the past uh, half a decade and haven't really gotten over the hump. And I I think that uh, other teams see a reluctance to sell. I know they're right now in that middle area right now on the bubble between buyer and seller, but other teams are now suggesting that they believe that they will hold on to these players that – Obviously, there's pressure on Davey Martinez. We know that. Uh, Mike Rizzo, I think, has been a terrific general manager for the Nats. But uh, there's some pressure on him to try to win, too. And they are at a payroll of close to that $210 million threshold. So right now, I would say I don't expect them to do that fire sale that we've been kind of suggesting that might happen. And I'm Pretty sure that uh, Max Scherzer will not be traded at this point. I know there'll be a lot of speculation about it uh, in coming weeks, particularly if the Nets start to fall back, but I don't believe he'll be traded. I don't see Rendon being traded. That one might be a little more likely because he is a free agent after the year, uh, do a little uh, same thing, but, uh, My guess at this point is the Nats are going to go for it and not sell.
2: When are the Giants going to start their selling process? It's not just Bumgarner. You look at their bullpen. they got a lot of pieces. And could a guy like Brandon Belt be of use. You know, you're
1: absolutely right about that bullpen. I I do think that they're bullpen central, really. I think they've got uh, three of the best pieces going right now with Will Smith, Tony Watson, and Sam Dyson. Melanson um, has actually bounced back a little bit as well, so uh, they're going to be in the middle of the trades in terms of the bullpen, and I, I think it would behoove them to do it quickly because, frankly, there are a lot of great bullpen pieces that could potentially be traded, but they're mostly on teams that are on the bubble, and they're thinking about it right now. So I think it would be Hoof San Francisco to strike now and try to make the best deal they can. With Smith has been fantastic. Watson, really good, consistent over the years. Dyson has come, come back to make trades for these guys because there are at least a half a dozen guys who could potentially get traded at a bullpen, who are major stars and could affect the trade value of their pieces. And I'm talking about Holland from Arizona, not on the block yet, but would have big price if he ever gets there. Vasquez from the Pirates obviously would. Not on the block yet, but again, same situation. Colum for the White Sox. Uh, Doolittle, as we referenced with the Nats. Hand, who's been fantastic uh, with, with the Indians. Uh probably the best in the league, and best in the National League has been Yates uh, with San Diego, and they're willing to listen at this point, but I don't think he's really on the block. So to me, I think San Francisco should strike now in that bullpen, and uh, I think they eventually they need to trade Bumgarner. I'm not that convinced they're going to do it. We'll see. They, they should do it, but ownership obviously loves this guy who's brought him three championships, and that is a tough one for them.
2: You mentioned the Indians. What are they going to do? If they're sellers, is that now? You know, I think the Indians are going to be willing to
1: listen, uh, but I'm with you. I think it's going to be wintertime for the Indians. Uh, They're they're in that race. Uh, I don't think they're going to beat the Twins, but they're certainly in the wild-card race, and to uh, be a seller now would be unusual, not unprecedented. We've seen teams do that, Uh, but uh, you know, they may not see themselves as a World Series contender, but if you're in there, you never know, and... uh, you know, I think that uh, ultimately uh, these big trades and the big pieces that they have uh, will probably wait until the winter. Certainly Lindor, I, I don't see them trading him in the middle of the year. You want to open that up to anybody who'd be interested if you're really going to shop Lindor. Uh, Bauer, his name, will be out there. It's been out there for a year already. But, uh, you know, if you're going to go for it, uh, you're not going to be trading Bauer in the middle of the season. And the Indians are a decent team. They, they have a shot. So I, my opinion. Opinion is they're going to wait till the winner on Lindor, Bauer, uh, Kluber, uh, probably Hand, and, and probably Santana as well.
2: One last one, keeping it in the AL Central, John Whitmerfield's. Kansas City move him. Yeah, you know,
1: I'm hearing that nearly every team, and that's a direct quote, nearly every team has shown interest in Whitmerfield, and that's understandable. A terrific all around player, stolen base potential, obviously. Uh, You know, a great hitter, uh, showing versatility. Uh, He's been okay in the outfield. Uh, uh, Second base is his natural position. Uh, It's natural that teams are asking about him because they, they just drafted Bobby Witt, Jr., who's a franchise shortstop. They have... Alberto uh, Mondesi, uh, who could slide over to second base. And then what do you do with Merrifield? Uh, well, the Royals are saying uh, that they're going uh, he's a decent outfielder, and they're okay with putting him in the outfield. But uh, he's certainly going to be talked about. And I don't think we should be shocked if he's traded. With nearly every team interested, I understand the price is going to be high. But, uh, you know, he certainly has a value. It's maybe not quite as high as some might think based on his talent level and his production because he is 30 years old. He's I don't want to say a late bloomer, but he was a late comer. I mean he may have been in the minor leagues too long and people didn't recognize that talent right away, but they certainly do now.
2: All right, final thing as we wrap up this segment and wrap up the podcast. best thing that you saw in Italy. Yeah,
1: we saw four great places in five days fantastic. I recommend it for anybody Florence uh, incredible beautiful beautiful city. I'd rank it up there with Paris, uh, t- t- two of the most beautiful cities uh, in the world, probably the most beautiful. I mean, I don't want to leave out uh, Detroit or Cleveland or any of the United States cities, but i go with Florence. I mean, it's just an amazing place. And I'd go If you go there, go to the museums, walk around the town, definitely go to the gardens and look out over the city, which is just gorgeous.
2: Whit Merrifield in Italy. That's how we bring the podcast <laughs> to a close. We're the only podcast today. that did that. Tune in next week. Arrivederci. We'll talk to you next week. And thanks to our guests today as well, Brad Osmus and Chip Carey. This is Big Time Baseball. From Radio.com Sports. Thanks
0: for listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Josh Lewin and John Heyman will be back next week diving into the latest across Major League Baseball. See you later! This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports.